0: Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. Two men were arguing about how much the other didn't know about religion. The one says... I bet you don't even know the first line of the Lord's Prayer. The other one replied, I sure do. Now I lay me down to sleep. The first guy replied, okay, you win. Well, unlike those two guys, the Lord's Prayer is the one prayer that Christians are bound to know. And not the now I lay me down to sleep version. The real Lord's Prayer, our Lord's Prayer. The one prayer that scholars say likely is from the heart and lips of Jesus. The prayer has come down to us in two forms. The more familiar version that we know from Matthew. And the one from Luke that we just read. Luke's version is shorter Matthew adds the petitions, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and deliver us from evil. Some manuscripts add that familiar doxology that we know comes at the end, for thine is the power and the glory forever. The consensus of scholars is that Luke's version is the one closest to the prayer Jesus actually taught. New Testament scholar Joachim Jeremias suggested the two versions of the prayer represent two audiences for the Gospels. Matthew's teaching on prayer was directed to Jewish Christians who already knew how to pray, but whose prayer lives were in dire need of rejuvenation. Luke's version was intended for Gentile converts to Christian faith, Persons who needed courage and encouragement to pray, they literally needed someone to teach them how to pray. Both kinds of audiences are present in the church today. Those who don't know how to pray and those whose prayer lives need to go deeper. The first two words to the Lord's Prayer lead us straight to the faith of Jesus And straight into contemporary controversy. Our Father. Ever since Phyllis Tribble's groundbreaking essay in 1973, called Depatriarchalizing in Biblical Interpretation, scholars and the church have not been able to gloss over the obvious male dominant language and point of view of the scriptures. Tribble's agenda was to engage the then-emerging women's liberation movement with critical biblical scholarship. What she found in her biblical research was that the biblical witness, although written predominantly from a male perspective, also includes images of God as feminine, and in particular, images of God as mother, as well as God as father. Many helpful feminist biblical scholars have followed, and recognizing the power language has to shape faith and culture, our hymn books and liturgy have been updated with inclusive language about God and human relationships, which leads us to a dilemma. Can we hear the imagery of ancient languages and peoples for what they were back then, while also standing for gender equality and inclusive equality for persons of varying sexual identity. Now, some people might say, no. I happen to be of the camp that says we can continue to be shaped by ancient cultures as we view them through the lenses of our modern world. We embrace the faith expressed in the ancient scriptures And we critique the world, old and new, in light of the scriptures, confident that God is still speaking. Which brings us back to the prayer of Jesus that begins, our Father. Jesus was not the first person of Hebrew faith to speak of God as Father. But the great faith inside of Jesus was that we have a personal relationship with God So intimate that we dared to pray to God our Father. When Jesus prayed to our Father, the prayer opened with a direct address to God. The Aramaic word of Jesus' native tongue was Abba or Dear Father, often translated as Daddy. For sure, Daddy conveys the level of loving intimacy Jesus was reaching for. But in our family relationships, daddy or mommy may be a little too cavalier to express the depth of Jesus' faith in relationship to God. Abba, father, mother, suggests the deeply personal relationship between loving parent and child While also preserving the natural and appropriate boundaries between parent and child. In a commentary on the Lord's Prayer, Al Wynn, some of you remember, formerly pastor of Second Presbyterian Church here, also former moderator of the Presbyterian Church General Assembly, tells a story from ancient Rome that illustrates what Abba Father is all about the Roman emperor's procession was entering Rome when a young child darted in front of an approaching chariot. A member of the praetorian guard immediately scooped up the lad, scolding the boy, that is the emperor. Your emperor, responded the boy, my father. In a culture that has made God Ever so distant, so cold, Jesus injected warmth in a sense of personal relationship with God. And so it is also for us when we dare to pray to the Father God of Jesus, whom we dare to address as our father or our mother, or for that matter, our beloved aunt or beloved uncle, Yes, God is the almighty creator, but God is also a most personal God, ever ready and eager to listen to us, to scoop us up into a divine bosom, to wrap arms around us, to love and cherish us, and to stand with us as only a mother or a father can do for a child. To pray the God our Father Jesus prayer is to remember that the heart of faith is the relationship we have with God, the relationship I have with God, and the relationship you have with God. And as in all fulfilling human relationships, the partners in the God-human relationship love each other and honor each other and rejoice with each other and suffer with each other. God is our Father, God is our Mother, and we are God's children. I think it is significant that Jesus taught us to pray to God, our Father. When Jesus prayed, as in the Gethsemane prayer that we heard this morning, Jesus prayed, saying, God, my Father. But he taught his disciples to pray to our father. The personal possessive pronoun denotes how deeply special the faith relationship is. And the first person plural form reminds us that God does not belong to any particular one of us. God is our father. I do not and cannot claim an exclusive relationship with God I share God with my brothers and sisters in faith, even as a child from a multiple-child family has to share his or her parents with siblings. To pray to God, our father, our mother, reminds us that even we who claim to be the children of God and the people of God don't have an exclusive claim on God God belongs to all of God's children. Jesus makes a similar point in his parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The self righteous Pharisee did not so much pray as he did explain his goodness to God God, I thank you, I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, and the like. The Pharisee's sin was not so much his pride, that he was not as bad as other persons, as it was his insistence that God was interested in hearing his prayer with more concern than anybody else's prayer. Nothing could be farther from the attitude of Jesus when it comes to prayer. Yes, Jesus prayed... To God, he knew with intimacy so deep that he could throw himself before God in complete submission. But Jesus also held in deepest reverence the God to whom he prayed. In his model prayer, Jesus expressed it this way Hallowed be thy name. At this point, the prayer of Jesus takes on a moral tone. We who are not God, We who are not holy must become more holy if, as our catechism says, we are to glorify God and fully enjoy God forever. Our God is like a loving, even indulgent parent, but our God does have standards. Our God does have expectations. The faith of Jesus, the faith expressed in his prayer, is not an obligation-free religion. God is holy, and we cannot find communion with God as long as we reject God's holiness and our holy calling. And what does it mean to pray, Hallowed be thy name? What does the Lord expect of us? The prophet Micah said, The Lord requires us to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. In Luke, just a few verses before he taught his disciples how to pray, Jesus put it this way, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. We hallow God's name when we hallow what God stands for and what God calls forth in God's creation. When we pray, as did Jesus, Hallowed be thy name, our prayer punctuates our need for grace. For we are not holy as God is holy, and we never will be holy as God is holy, apart from the grace of God. Again, the parable of the two minute prayer illumines the Lord's prayer for the tax collector. A man despised by his peers and feared by all was a man by definition who was a terrible sinner. A public sinner, one known by all as a cheat and a thief, one who used his power to exploit the helpless, a man whom no one would argue was not a sinner. Yet it is this man's prayer whom Jesus lifts up as a model for our prayer. For the sinner, the tax collector prays, God be merciful to me a sinner. This is a man who both knows of his sin and knows also of the abundance of God's grace. Hallowed be thy name. The prayer of Jesus reminds us that that not all persons hallow the name of God. Not all persons respect the cause of God. And so we who pray this prayer have work to do to bring an unholy world into a holy relationship with God and relationships of peace-filled wholeness with one another to transform a terribly violent world into a world where children are safe to go to school and all persons are safe to walk the streets. To pray, hallowed be thy name, naturally and necessarily flows into the next petition, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven." I will never forget a story I heard from former professor of preaching, Tom Troger. Heard it at Montreat many years ago. Tom was recounting his seminary days, and when he was a student intern one summer, he worked in a community center that was sponsored by an urban congregation. Tom's job was to include a little Bible study and religious instruction in the children's day. Tom started out teaching the youngsters the Lord's Prayer and a few Bible verses. He had one little boy named Jason who really warmed up to Tom. He was eager to please and was usually the first one to memorize the day's Bible verse. But he stumbled over the Lord's Prayer. In fact, he couldn't recite it at all. He couldn't even begin it. Whenever Jason tried, he would stammer and stutter and then lower his head. Well, Tom was puzzled. He looked up the boy's records and discovered that the boy lived with his aunt. Tom called Jason's aunt and told her how much he enjoyed having the boy in his classes. She assured him the feeling was mutual. Then Tom broached the Lord's prayer problem. Did she have any insight into this? The aunt told Tom that Jason's mother had died when he was just a baby. His early years were with his father who was a drug addict and who abused Jason verbally and physically. At last, one day Jason told his teachers about his home life and before long he was placed with his aunt to live. Jason blossomed there. But he could barely speak of his father, and when he did, he would cry uncontrollably. The next day, when it came time for the day's lessons, Tom took Jason aside, and he said to him, you know, Jason, what is important about the Lord's Prayer is that Jesus taught it to us and that it teaches us about God. And there are many ways to talk about God. Maybe... You would like to start the Lord's Prayer this way. Our Aunt, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And that very day, Jason learned and prayed our Lord's Prayer. Our Father, our Mother, hallowed be thy name. Not a magical formula our Lord's Prayer, an entry to the mind and faith and prayer of Jesus, a summation of the faith of the church, a guide for prayer, a guide for life. Amen.